Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I've got Saurabh Faroudi along with Andy Dolich, and I'm really excited to talk to Saurabh uh, along with Andy today to uh, talk about the fan-controlled football league. Um, some may have heard, some may have not, but we should all get familiar with it as it uh, hopefully is here launching here soon. And and Saurabh's done some great work uh, in his career thus far, and, and we're going to hear all about it, all the different things that he's gotten in himself involved in, inventor, entrepreneur, founder. We can we can probably come up with a lot of different names, but uh, I'll let Angie... I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let Angie introduce him, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. But Andy is part of the FCFL as well, and uh, we will learn all about it. Thank you, Jake. Uh, I was lucky enough to be introduced to Saurabh and his uh, co-founders of the FCFL, Grant Cohn, Patrick Dees, uh, Ray Austin, uh, several years ago. And Saurabh will explain when you're having fun and you're involved in an incredible project, time truly flies. Um, and having a bit of institutional knowledge of sports is important, but there are many that look at sports or development in the rearview mirror. I can definitely say that Soar and the team that he's put together with FCFL is looking at this through the windshield and maybe even through the windshield of a spaceship, but he can define that further. Um, everybody's got the next great idea in business and in sports, especially in the digital age, the way things are changing literally on a nanosecond basis. And so what we try to do with all of our guests is a general roadmap for how they got into business, not necessarily the business of sports, because you've been in more than one. And then we'll drill down into how the FCFL came to be in its current form and what it will be in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, kind of give us a, a quick rundown of, you know, what you've done so far in your career, um, how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, I think uh, I think it all started back uh, when I was very young. I've got two younger brothers and. Um, we moved around a lot as, uh, as kids and my dad was a serial entrepreneur. And so I got really close to my brothers. They became my, my best friends. And, you know, my parents, I think instilled in us something that I think is really important, uh, probably sets apart, uh, most entrepreneurs from, uh, people that are uh, a little hesitant to take the plunge and go do things on their own. And I think that's really, uh, the idea that you can't be afraid to fail. Um, and, you know, my dad, I think, instilled in us from the time we were really little, uh, this idea that, uh, you know, take a big swing no matter what it is. And if you fall on your butt, uh, you just pick yourself up and, and go try something else or go try it again. And, and I think that's really important. I'm, I've got two little girls. Uh, I'm trying to instill that in them. And I think that kind of got us uh, on the road to, you know, this idea that we wanted to go out and, and do our own things and kind of set our own course. So. I went to University of Maryland undergrad, GW grad school, um, was out in the East Coast for quite a while and, uh, and uh, saw a, a, a story on CNBC about the first eBay consignment store, which actually opened up in San Francisco. 
um, and uh, called my brother, uh, who was in Colorado at the time, and said, Sai, I think we could start this in my basement. Uh, why don't you quit your job? I'm going to quit my job, and let's, let's go do this. And uh, so, so many tech businesses started in A, somebody's basement, <laughs> B, somebody's garage, That's right. or or a coffee shop right whatever yeah exactly well you land and it was one of the i mean this is the the typical kind of you know basement garage startup and we literally drove around putting flyers on people's cars in the dc metro area hey we'll sell your stuff on ebay um and uh, started getting calls immediately it was a you know brand new concept at the time uh, a lot of people knew what ebay was there were you know a lot less sellers and a lot more buyers and um so we quickly moved into a retail store and uh, got our feet wet with our first kind of uh, business, um, which was an absolutely terrible business. I can't tell you how many uh, things <laughs> went wrong with, went wrong with that company. Um, but uh, really, so did you go back to your dad and say, "All right, we've had yeah. failure number six, Dad. What's your yeah. advice?" Now? Well, that was you know we we learned we we quickly in that business learned the word pivot. Uh, so we uh, we actually uh, we 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 came across something that was really interesting, which in that business, which was uh, the data that was available from eBay. So the the sales data itself and and eBay at the time hadn't really made it widely available. They were starting to license their sales data, and so we were one of the first companies that actually licensed uh, the eBay sales history. Um, so every night we would get a dump of all the uh, items that sold uh, the previous day um, and, and really from there created a, a pricing algorithm. Our, our original thought was that, you know, with this kind of newfound data on secondary market, um, you could create some really interesting real time pricing of, of secondary items. And so that's kind of what the eBay consignment model was about. Right. You're really kind of taking advantage of, of that secondary uh, sales venue. Um, and we thought if we could uh, have the pricing data in real time, uh, we could alleviate a lot of the headaches of dealing with customers by having them come in and giving them their money up front rather than dealing with them on the back end. Uh, but what we really, I think, you know, a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are, I think, su uh, successful entrepreneurs. It's, you know, right place, right time, right idea, and then a lot of luck. Um, and we just so happened to kind of be in the space when, you know, the iPhone was introduced, smartphones were really, you know, cycles were increasing, people were, you know, used to hang on their phones for three or four years, now they were upgrading them every 18 months, every 12 months. Um, and so we focused uh, on, on mobile phones and created uh, the first retail uh, real-time trade-in program for mobile phones, um, and ended up going on the ride. I mean, we, we were, you know, we raised a couple million dollars in, in angel funding that was in 2006 um, and, uh, and raised a $14 million round of venture capital, uh, in 2008. Uh, we were the number 81 fastest growing private company, um, on the Inc 500 list in, uh, in 2009, um, and ended up, uh, you know, having a successful exit in, in 2011. And so, um, I got to, you know, like I said, that, that first iteration of the business, it was, uh, you know, we, we made a pivot. Um, but it was a kind of an offshoot of, of that original idea that kind of led us uh, um, to to the success we had, and it was a uh, you know right right place, right time, and a lot of luck in uh, in trying to in figuring out that this new business model um, that was available just because of uh, of the data that nobody had really tapped into previously. And during this time, where you were working, you know, twenty seven hours a day to realize your dream. Were you still paying any attention to sports at that time? 
Huge sports fan. Uh, at that time, uh, well, during that time, I actually tore my ACL twice. So if that counts, I was playing sports and tearing my knees up. Um, yeah, massive, you know, fantasy football player. I was born in Texas. I'm a huge Cowboys fan. Don't hold it against me. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, sports was always something that I had a passion for. I mean, you know, this startup that we that we had together with my brothers and there was two other co-founders. We were all close friends. We literally lived together, worked together, and our kind of uh, the only thing we did outside of work was actually play sports. We played flag football together. We played basketball nightly. Um, it was it was always a part of what we were doing and always a part of our, our lives. And um, you know, obviously watching the games on the weekend. So yeah, sports sports was something that was top of mind for us uh, along the way. And what was the aha moment that the general concept of FCFL? came to the group and what happened after that? Well, you know, it was, it was a, I don't know that there was an aha moment. It wasn't one of those light bulbs. Um, I, I think what happened was when we sold the business in 2011, you know, I mean, we didn't make enough, it wasn't, wasn't life changing money in a sense that, you know, you, we weren't going out to, to buy the Cowboys, which was always, always been my childhood dream. Um, but, you know, it, it got us thinking about, OK, if we went and did this again and we made enough money to buy a team, what would we do differently? Right. Would we, and, and then and then the fact that we weren't able to buy one, it was like, OK, well, we're still fans. Why can't we be involved in a team the way Jerry Jones runs his team or the way, you know, Mark Cuban runs his team? And so it really got the wheels turning for us in, in that we started thinking about you know, why can't fans be involved the way all fans want to be involved? And I think that kind of goes to the heart of, of the concept for the FCFL is we're tapping into this kind of, you know, this notion that all fans, no matter what the sport and no matter where you are in the world, you, you know, all passionate sports fans want to be a part of their team, right? They, they want to have a say, they want to have a vote. Uh, they, they want to be a coach. They want to be a GM. They want to be an owner. Um, and so the, I think the beauty of, of what we're building on and the idea that we're tapping into is that it's really not our idea. It is every sports fan's idea. We're just the ones that are going out and putting it into motion. And, and I think that that's truly the power behind kind of the idea and the opportunity we have in front of us is, I mean, this can, can really reach every sports fan out there. Mm -hmm. So as you and I first started talking about this, and, you know, Jake, I'm the technological troglodyte in the group that <laughs> that means somebody whose knuckles are dragging on the ground. You know, I'm not waking up at three in the morning to work on my algorithms or to figure out my latest blockchain routes to to money. Um, <laughs> but this is this is real. So. So as you're explaining this, and I've sat in many, many meetings to with people that are hearing about this for the first time or don't quite get it, especially in football now, there's, you know, hellacious competition. You have the cautionary tale of the Alliance of American Football. You have the XFL. You have the NFL, clearly the king of the walk, uh, the success of college football how how would you explain this to listeners who go FCFL? Not sure I heard of it. What is it? How does it work? Yeah, look, I, the way that I explain it is that we're really kind of 
bringing the worlds together of esports and traditional sports um, in a format that allows for fans to participate in a real football league. Um, the way they play a game of Madden or, you know, as much time as they spend in fantasy, really, really kind of constructing rosters and, and calling plays in real time. So this is a, you know, a real football league with real players and real coaches played on a you know, real field with tackling and, and a football. Um, but fans get to make the decisions as if they're playing a video game. So everything from kind of creating and shaping the brands of each of the teams, we're going to start with eight teams in the league, um, you know, all the way to drafting the players and, and, uh, and calling the plays in real time. Um, so it is that, that kind of bridges the gap between, you know, the younger generation um, that is, you know, really moving towards esports and gaming. If you look at all the major sports, including the NFL, um, all of their their uh, demographics of their fan bases, they're all aging, right? They're they're all getting older. Nobody's getting younger, um, and that and that is a, 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 a uh, that's a fact based on the younger generation who is still playing these sports. I mean, I've got two little girls. They play soccer, uh, you know, <laughs> every weekend, um, but they don't watch soccer, right? They'd rather play video games, and then, and and I think. That's, uh, that's the direction that the younger generation is headed. And so we wanted to tap into that and really kind of bring those worlds together um, to attract that young generation that's looking for that lean forward interactive experience that video games provide. Um, and, and, but, but leverage this really kind of beautiful platform of traditional sports that provides this drama and this unpredictability and just, you know, unscripted, sports is something that everybody's drawn to and you know you can't recreate that in a video game so we felt there was an there's an opportunity to really kind of create the best of both worlds um and and truly kind of build this this new generation of of traditional sports that becomes interactive so sort of in, in terms of sports right what was behind football i mean obviously probably one of the only sports that you actually call a play outside of baseball you're calling a pitch etc but was that, I mean, was that the main driver in the sense that fantasy football is probably the biggest of all the fantasy sports? Yeah, I would say, look, I would say being in the U.S., uh, you know, obviously, you know, football is, is the biggest sport in the country. Um, you know, I think six of the top 10, you know, shows every year are some form of NFL playoffs or championship game. Um, you know, it, it is football consumes this country. Um, and we felt like there was an opportunity and a really interesting one because they're also, you know, the, I know the Alliance made an attempt, the XFL is coming back, but really outside of kind of, you know, college football being, um, you know, the, uh, the feeder system, there really hasn't been anything to, I don't want to say challenge the NFL, but there hasn't been a secondary platform. Um, and, you know, you're sure you've got indoor football and arena football leagues and things like that scattered about, but none of those have really, uh, kind of uh, grabbed the attention of, of the fan. Um, and we felt like there was, there was a, just an incredible abundance of talent from the player's standpoint that really don't have anywhere to go, right? And so if you think about baseball and basketball, um, soccer, all of these sports have very, very established minor league systems and overseas systems where players out of college can go. Football doesn't have that. So there is just an abundance of talent available um, that we felt we could tap into. And then obviously being the biggest sport in the country um, and, you know, us being all passionate football fans, it kind of felt like the right one. I would say you, you mentioned baseball. I do think baseball 
um, or Cricket internationally are, are really interesting platforms for us um, to look at uh, for the next sport um, that we want to do. But uh, football just kind of captured our imagination. One of our co-founders played football at the University of Tennessee and was you know played uh, five years in the NFL. So it was a it was a natural fit for us. So a perfect segue as a serial entrepreneur. Uh, as somebody who's going to be involved and is involved in a team sport, what was significantly important is the team that you put together that is driving the launch. And people are always looking for the new idea, but if you don't have an engine of quality people, it almost doesn't matter what the idea is. So, a bit of your insight and education to those who are listening and what are the parameters that you used to put together this team? Yeah, I think, uh, well, a couple of things, and I'll start with, you know, some of my experience from, you know, our, our, the company that we started uh, back in 2006 was called FlipSwap back in the mobile space. Um, I think, you know, we really had our eyes open and we were young back then, but, you know, it was really interesting when we went into rooms with, you know, veterans of the mobile industry, you know, had been in, you know, in mobile for 15 years, 20 years at the time, you know, we, we heard it over and over again, uh, kind of like, holy shit, why didn't I think of this? And, 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 and what we, you know, but, but was interesting to me because what we realized was it was because they were so ingrained in the industry that they got kind of stuck in the lane. And it's really hard to think about something different when you're kind of embedded in, 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 in a direction and, and you, you're continuing to move that you know, forward. So I think when, when we looked at, at this uh, opportunity, what I wanted to do was surround myself with people that had done sports at the highest level. And, and obviously Andy, you know, you were one of the first people that, that I approached uh, to kind of help uh, you know, establish that. Um, but I also wanted to look at how do we get people that haven't been in the sports industry to really look at this through a different lens? Because part of what we want to build is not what's already been built. And, and really, if you look at, you know, AAF, say it, but I think the XFL is, is going to suffer a similar fate. They are, they are putting the people in place to build these leagues that built the NFL. So the only lens that they can see through is the NFL lens. And I really, really think that's a, that's a big mistake, right? We wanted to go out and get people that had done this in gaming, that had done this in, you know, built companies in mobile. Um, you know, one of our guys in operations, you know, has been in the arena football league and indoor football league for 15 years, which is, you know, a really hard place to make teams work and a really hard place to make money. And you see, you know, you're operating on budgets of a couple million bucks instead of a couple hundred million dollars. And, and those were the types of people that I wanted to go get because I, I really felt like if we could bring a team together that sure had people that had experience at the highest level, but also had experience outside of sports um, and in the, in the minors, um, we, would, we would be able to create something you know, very special, bring really different perspectives to it. Um, and, and that's kind of how we kind of went out and, and built the team. So yeah, and I think we were lucky just the founding team also had very different backgrounds. To, to and if with. you could, if you're comfortable um, naming some of those people like Ariel and Steve and Jen, sure. people that, uh, you know, define what you just talked about and listeners would know them or not know them through maybe another lens, as you talked about. 
Yeah, look, I, I think uh, so, you know, Ariel Horn is, is a great one to bring up. I mean, Ariel spent his, you know, cut his teeth at NBC Sports, uh, where he produced things like Sunday Night Football and Arena Football and the Olympics and, and really kind of learned how to shoot traditional sports. But what's really powerful about what Ariel did after that was he saw an opportunity in 2011, 2012 where esports was really catching on and he went to his first esports event and he just couldn't believe you know that there were these this young generation of fans that was treating video games the way he used to remember seeing and watching traditional sports and so kind of light bulb went on for him he ended up leaving nbc sports and going to riot games um which you know makes league of legends which is one of the most successful uh, video game franchises out there and and uh, one of the biggest esports out there, um, and ended up uh, becoming the the global head of esports uh, production uh, and content for Riot Games, and and really kind of helped. You know, he's considered one of the grandfathers of, of esports in terms of the production side. Kind of really helped figure out how to shoot esports in a way that was watchable and consumable uh, for for fans. Um, and and he did that by bringing some really interesting institutional knowledge out of the traditional sports world over in, into gaming. Um, and then from there, you know, we were able to recruit him to to come work with us. And again, what I love about him is he's seen both sides, right? So we want to shoot traditional sports, but we want to shoot it from the younger generation's kind of point of view. And having that lens of of esports and gaming and, and background that Ariel has, you know, over the past seven years at Riot. Um, really, uh, really, really adds to that. Uh, another guy, our CTO, Steve Adler, um, you know, great background, you know, 30, 30 year vet uh, and kind of CTO and, and technology, spent a couple of years uh, at the NFL um, where he ran digital um, and, and built out the mobile uh, apps for the NFL, but also was a startup guy and, and kind of, you know, spent a bunch of time at, at varying startups um, where he was actually, you know, coding, you know, all the way up through being a CTO. Um, in entertainment and and uh, and hardware, and you know, even did some business development. So, kind of a really interesting background, non-typical CTO background, I would say. Um, you know, Jen Rottenberg, our, our CMO, um, you know, started started uh, at, at IMG in, in the licensing division. Uh, has been in kind of sports marketing for 20 years. Um, she was at USA Water Polo as their CMO. So again, you know, a very different. Uh, you know, sure, it's it's sports, but you know, it is a very different world when you're at the uh, water polo, where you're dealing with budgets and the things that they and constraints that she had to deal with, versus you know being the you know a CMO of of the Cowboys or you know the San Francisco 49ers. So um, I think you know we 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 wanted to go out and get people uh, from different walks of life that that really um, could help bring some unique perspective to what we were doing. Um, and look, no idea is a dumb idea in, in this organization. We want to hear it all. Um, and, uh, and I think there's a really a healthy respect from everybody that we've put around the table um, that kind of shares this vision that, you know, we can change sports. Um, we don't again, I want to be I want to be very clear. We don't want to displace what's there. Right. I mean, I am I want to I want to die watching the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but I also want to create this kind of, you know, this this place in the middle where we can attract these younger generations of fans that are currently not watching traditional sports into an interactive version. And my hope is, you know, the younger kids are going to play FCFL and be like, oh, my God, I love football. And then they're going to go watch the NFL. And I think we can actually be an onboard for them. So as we as we near uh, the end zone of this conversation, 
Um, so the actual uh, pitch of the FCFL, you know, we've talked a lot about how you've built this. Um, a little bit about the pizzazz and what's coming and what can they see and who we've partnered with that is a bit different than what anybody else has seen. Yeah, there's a, you know, we, we, again, we, we wanted to do things differently. We've seen a bunch of leagues, you know, come and go uh, over the past 20 years. Um, and we didn't want to suffer that same fate. And so, you know, first and foremost, we took a really hard look when we were, when we were putting the model together uh, on the cost side. Um, and what we, what we arrived at was, uh, we call it a league in a box, but, but really what it boils down to is centralization, right, and shared services. So rather than starting a league with eight teams in eight different cities spread across the country, uh, where you then have to set up eight front offices and you have to do eight different marketing campaigns and, you know, attract people to stadiums. I mean, all, all of these things that are really, really hard to do, uh, especially for startup teams and leagues. Um, you know, we wanted to kind of kind of cut that out of the model. And, and we felt like uh, if there was a way to do that, it was by focusing on the digital fan. So, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're building the FCFL in Vegas. Uh, we have a big casino partner um, as our venue partner. And rather than play games in a big arena or a big stadium, we're playing in a production studio. Uh, so we're going to have a television studio audience, you know, live games, uh, be about a thousand people, uh, fans in the arena. Um, but really, this is a league designed for the digital fan where we are. You know, we have a partnership with Twitch. They bought the streaming rights to the league. Um, so we're going to be kind of integrating and streaming this out on the Twitch platform um, to really, you know, to, to, to the global fan base. Um, and the other thing that allows you to do all of the teams, all of the players, all the coaches in one city, you eliminate travel costs. Um, you can have, you know, coaches that coach multiple teams, um, you know, from a position standpoint. So your overhead, you know, really, really uh, uh, drops drastically when you're not worried about putting butts in seats because you're, you're, you know, your focus from a revenue standpoint is more on the digital side. Um, it really alleviates a lot of pressures to, you know, to get out and sell and, and, and pound the pavement. Um, so, you know, we felt that was a, a really uh, great way to put this together. And then the other thing we did when you when you eliminate cities, um, you know, it's, there's pros and cons, right? There's pro to city based fan, fandom, right? I'm a Cowboys fan because I was born in Texas. And, you know, most people are fans of a certain team because uh, either their parents were fans or they went to school there or they lived there, you know, have some connection. Um, we eliminated that. But what we replaced it with was um, was the in, was influencers, right? So we felt like we wanted each of our teams to be global out of the gate. So you could be a fan from any city in any country in the world, and you could be a fan of one of our teams. Um, and so instead of having a city, we have influencers. And so we have guys like Marshawn Lynch and, and Richard Sherman, um, you know, Prince Royce, who's a big Latin pop star, and uh, Bobby Bones, who's the number one country music uh, DJ in, in the country, um, kind of funny, who's a group uh, out of San Francisco um, in the gaming and esports space. So really kind of, you know, people from all walks of life um, that are the team owners and, and, the, and the captains, we call them our fan captains, who are really going to drive that initial um, fan engagement for these teams. Um, but really what it allows to do is build eight unique brands uh, that then, you know, you can be a fan from anywhere and, and be a fan of this uh, one of these teams. And so 
Um, we think that that opens up the, the the world to to the league. So so Peyton Manning is he? Is Peyton he Manning would have been if Peyton Manning if Peyton Manning was on social, uh, he would have been great. He avoids social like the play. He doesn't even have a Twitter account. So uh, he and his brother both, uh, for whatever reason, have uh, have avoided social media. Um, and so you know our our entire kind of play here is that this becomes a very social. Uh, interactive uh, fan base, right? And when we want our team owners, you know, Marshawn and Richard are going to be interacting with fans on social and creating content and, you know, co-streaming the games on Twitch. So, you know, if you're a fan of Marshawn's team, you're going to be able to watch the game and have Marshawn in a picture-in-picture picture watching the game with you and comment, commenting and, hey, fans, we should run here, we should pass here, as, as fans call the plays. So um, we, we think there's some really interesting uh, content opportunities and, and, and different ways to, you know, create fandom uh, with these influencers. And you, you, you got to be on social and appreciate social to be able to do that. So sure. perfect, perfect point. Uh, Soar, where should listeners and fans go to understand more about FCFL? So fcfl.io is the website to go check it out. Um, we are going to be making a bunch of announcements over the next uh, 60 days or so on our uh, venue partner in Vegas. A um, couple of new uh, team captains that are joining, some, some really big names actually um, to add, add to the list. Um, and uh, we're looking at, uh, at a Q4 rollout for the league um, to, to really get fans involved in, uh, in creating this new version of sports, which I think is going to be uh, really, really exciting to participate in and, uh, and hopefully a, a game changer that we can take to other sports uh, down the line. So Sora, okay. as, as you, yeah, as you roll this out, what's, what's the five year, you know, where, where do you want this to end up? Uh, you know, and obviously you probably don't have an answer, but uh, what's, what's the ultimate dream as you, you know, started this from scratch? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, well, I always wanted to own the Cowboys, and Jerry Jones is never dying. So this was uh, to fill the whole empty hole in my heart that I knew I would have to fill at some point. Uh, but no, serious. In all seriousness, look, I, I would love the FCFL to grow to you know twenty to thirty teams over the next five years, um, and really carve out a place in in American sports where you know we can be one of uh, of the leagues, right? We can be one of those pastimes that people really enjoy and are excited about our season coming and, and, you know, have a chance to, you know, we're the other thing we didn't talk about, we're going to open up team ownership opportunities to fans, right? We want to, we want to allow fans to actually own a piece of these teams as well. So, you know, I hope we can carve out a really interesting niche in this kind of, you know, esports and gaming adjacent, uh, you know, right now it's a really kind of a blank canvas that we're, we're building um, and, you know, five years from now, not only do I want to see the FCFL grow to a bunch more teams, uh, we want to attack a couple other sports as well. And so we've already got, um, you know, a couple on our mind in baseball and cricket that, that we want to go um, bring, bring the same concept to. So that's where in five years, that's where we want to be. Fantastic. Well, Andy, I, I was looking at the analytics on our podcast. We have lis- listeners over seven different countries. So hopefully for those that are that are listening uh, across the world on Life in the Front Office, uh, we can at least spread the, the word about the FCFL a little bit, Andy. 
Well, uh, I mean, polo controlled, uh, rugby, cricket, as Sorge said, today, indoor football, tomorrow, everything else. Saurabh, we appreciate the time. Uh, really enjoyed having you on. We look forward to having you on again in the near future, uh, post, post your announcements and, and uh, as the SCFL gets rolling. Um, would definitely be interested in having you on again to, to talk about the progress and, and where it's heading in the future. Well, thank you, Jake. It's been a, been a pleasure. Appreciate the time. And uh, I'd love to come back uh, when uh, we've got a bunch more to talk about. Thanks, awesome. Sor. Much appreciated. Thanks, Andy.